You're listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Matt Loverin and me, Jim Shamaria. Our goal is to start a conversation about life and leadership in the local church. Max, zero. What do you got here, Matt? Okay, so there's some raspberry, there's peach, there's apricot, and there's some lemon. No prune? No prune. We didn't go prune this year, and no cream custard filled, because... Because you're a a Christian. That's a beginner move. (laughs) Maybe I should actually say that that's more of an advanced move. You got the prune one year. I did. I regretted it from bite one. Ready for this? I'm going to do the bib. Oh, you are wearing navy and black. And the, the powdered sugar is powdered. All right, man. All right, this is so like Harry Potter's beans. You pick yeah, one and hope I you don't get barf. <laughs> it looks like that's either a lemon or an lemon. apricot down in the end, but it might be apricot. Oof. That's, a little, that's an opaque jelly. I want to say that the lemon are in the middle somewhere. You know what? This is my winner. Going all in? This is like reminding me of picking out baseball cards. Oh yeah, this is going to be an apricot or peach. If it's a peach, man, I want one of those. Georgia peach flavor. Real American peaches. There she is. There she is. March herself. We're graced by the honor. All right. You ready? Let's go in for our first bite. Mazel tov. Cheers. To Happy Punchki Day. To a Marty. Mm. That peach was a good choice. You got peach? You got peach and apricot? I did. But how can you tell the difference? Good morning, Marge. <laughs> you want to come be on our podcast? What's happening? What are you doing? We got a podcast, and every year we like to eat your punchki, so I figured we'd do it here in in person. Mm-hmm. Want to say hi to all of our friends? So, so where where do you do it, or who do you talk to? Well, we talk we we talk to pastors mostly. It's a pas- a podcast for pastors. Kind of fancy, huh? It's fancy. It's fancy. Well, I can see that you've got some really good-looking donuts here. Absolutely. Are there any donuts that aren't good-looking at Marge's? I hope not. They're not. <laughs> Marge, what? We don't normally get a chance to talk to you on this day because normally it's just super busy, but what's your favorite flavor of the Poonchies? I like raspberry and Lemon, yeah, and chocolate. <laughs> Do you go for the prune? No. Yeah, <laughs> I tried that one year and it was a mistake. But I'm Italian. Oh, prune is the one that the Polish people like. I see. What's so do you get a lot of orders for the prune? Yes. Do you really? Wow. It's like the traditional Polish one. It is the traditional one. Yeah. How it started is. Um, I was our national donut director for Retail Bakers of America. Okay. And on the west side, people, there were a lot of Polish people, and they did punchkis. So one of the directors said, Marge, if you're in Grand Rapids, why don't you start it on the east side of the state? And I said, okay. But I said, it's fair that we check with the other bakeries, too. So I did that, but nobody wanted to do it. it. And so my baker and I were the only ones that started the punch key over here. And it's just grown year after year after year. This is the place to come for them. So this is the day with the big pickup day, but how many days are you taking orders, delivering orders of this kind of donut? Every year we used to take orders and we take like 700, but we're too busy for that now. So we only take a very limited amount for big orders, like 50 dozen or something. 
and then um, if they want to pick them out, they just come in. They got to come and stand in the crowd with the rest of us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no preferred treatment. It's nice that you have the extra space so the line doesn't have to be outdoors. No. I remember those and days. And then at noon today, I have kids come oh, awesome. and they do the drums. And then they make a lot of wreck. <laughs> but you put them in two spaces away in the gallery. Well, I'd like to put them in that room. <laughs> right. But is the polka band going to be here today? Are they? <laughs> no, they're done for today. Oh, no, they're they already were, here. They were here from seven to nine. But he was so good. I'm going to have him come again. Yeah. Because yeah. on Saturdays we used to have a piano player that came okay. every Saturday. Okay. So, as part of the tradition. And this lady is, I know she's 80 years old because oh, wow. I went to her 80th birthday party, but I'm 82. And we, um, they help us every year. Oh, do they clear clean the it? Yeah. You got to have extra help for a day like this. I have my granddaughter and my daughter came from Arizona. Okay. They come. My other daughter's been here from 6 o'clock last night. This is another one of my sisters. Hi. She's a dame. Who are you? You're famous. I'm Jim. Who are you? Mary Lou. Nice to meet you, Mary Lou. She's a dancing teacher. A dancing teacher? And she had to teach. Like you're a teacher who dances or you teach dancing? Teaches dancing. Okay. And she had to teach the lady from Channel 13 how to poke today. <laughs> how to go? It was fun. Yeah? Did she do all right? Oh, she did. <laughs> she was so happy. I hope that we can see that on the news later. Yeah. I'm Maybe. sure it'll be there. It's on Channel 13. Channel 13? All right. We'll look it up. Well, nice meeting you. Nice Thanks, meeting ladies. you, too. See you. Good you. See, I get the call. I'm the middle sister. And That's the middle when child, I get the right? call, you come. I have to come and work at the donut then. I love it. No stress. Yeah. What are they going to do? Fire me? That's right. And all the donuts you want, right? Huh? All the donuts you want. Hey, you and donuts. Yeah. I have a rule. Hearing problem. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all the donuts that you want. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't get paid, but I get paid in coffee and donuts. I wouldn't take money from Can't my beat sister. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice to talk to you, Mary Lou. Well, what an unexpected treat. An interview with Marge herself and Mary Lou. I sort of feel like if you set up to record a podcast in Marge's Donut Den, Marge is bound to walk by. Oh. She was a little skeptical at first. Well, it is like, where are you doing this? It's a great question. Like, metaphysically, where are we doing it? What is the internet? We're recording it here. Oh. All of you are listening seven days, 14 days, years into the future. Wherever you are, we are there. It makes you think about, like, time sound. and space. Yeah. What is sound? What is a punchki? I mean, I know what that is. But thanks for that, Matt. Thanks for dipping into your philosophy background for our little trip down I metaphysics, just, existentialism. I just came today. from the Potter's house teaching high school, and not a single one of those kids even knew what a punchki was. How dare they? Less than a mile from here. That's very interesting, though, to hear that Marge was the, uh, the beginning of the punchki West Michigan tradition. Or at least the uh, the institutionalization of that tradition, like right. making it a thing from year to year. Well, and it's interesting. I didn't I didn't know what it was until I moved out here. It's sure. kind of a regional thing. I would. I remember seeing the the red and white boxes wow. all over the stores. Well, we're gonna start with one, then we're gonna move with two, and kind of just see where things go from there. And diet tomorrow. Diet tomorrow. That's what it's all about, right? You indulge today, and then fast tomorrow. Anyway, thanks for coming. Thank you for having us. <laughs> but thinking about tradition and uh, time and space and <laughs> the way sound works and what is the internet, that really does coincide with what we do 
uh, in the podcast as we think about the church year and as we think about um, what it means to be observant of the Christian year. Yeah, well, I, I think the church year as a whole, like that, as I've been learning about it over the last several years, that is a very interesting kind of part of it is you essentially the goal is that you live you welcome the life of Jesus into your like year right and so that's why you, you begin with Advent you follow through with his with his ministry we had just had Transfiguration Sunday on Sunday now we turn our attention to him heading to Jerusalem and it's like every year we enact those events just by our teaching and by remembering them and in a way like we put on the life of Christ like that's the goal at least for the Christians to put on the life of Christ and every year to be reminded of that and building that into the rhythm of right. your day to day life right. a lot of times we structure our lives around holidays that's, that's the way that time works for people Memorial Day, Labor Day, 4th of July yeah, those are the summer Brown holidays, day. for sure. St. Patty's Day. Armistice Day. Arbor Day. Flag Day. Valentine's. Valentine's. <laughs> Celebration of love. Valentine's. That's an important one. Valentine's is serious times. <laughs> And yet, or even the think of the, the beginning of the new year, where yeah. you know you're making New Year's resolutions, but but those approaches are all um, worldly, secular, or well, they're holidays. Civic. They're, they're civic, civic. Right? yeah, secular in the in the formal sense of secular. There's no, no negative connotation right. there. They're non-religious holidays or non-religious ways of framing the year and time. So when we make a conscious decision to say we're going to celebrate something or observe time in connection with our faith, uh, of course we think of jelly donuts. <laughs> Why not? Right? Why not? So we talked about this last time we did a live from Marge's, but we'll just remind people. Because like I said, where I grew up, I didn't really understand this. But the whole idea... And we have a lot of new listeners who may yeah. not have heard that episode. Right. So the whole idea is that for the four days leading up to Easter... Christians have traditionally observed the season of Lent, which is a season of emptying yourself as a way of preparing yourself for the celebration of the birth of Jesus. The way I often talk about it is it's hard to really lean into what Easter is about and, and what what Easter does in the life of a Christian without first reminding ourselves of the need that we have for Easter. In other words, when we remind ourselves of the human condition of brokenness and emptiness and death without Christ for 40 days, we're able to more fully experience the profound grace and life and truth and beauty and wholeness that comes as a result of the resurrection. So that's that, what that season does, that season of Lent. And so in the olden days, in the old world, uh, one of the things that you do during Lent is you would not eat fats or sugars. You take this season to not indulge in some of the finer things of life. And so you have a problem, right? Because you're about to enter 40 days of sugarless, fatless living. But in your home, in your pantry, you have lots of sugars and fats and oils and etc. So what do you do with them? You got to get rid of them. You're not just going to throw them out. That'd be a waste. You're going to eat them. Such a waste. You're going to eat them. So the day before the Lenten season began, traditionally in, in the old world, they would use all of those ingredients to make an extra indulgent, fatty, sugary, oily treat known in various various places as the punchki or just a jelly donut. I know in England they do pancake day where they eat pancakes. And we just heard from Marge about the origin of the punchki celebration in West Michigan. Alright, we're going to have Nate English join us in in a second. This is PCP live. You never know what's going to happen. But yeah. Which, so, which baby English does he have with him? That is Ari. Ari. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, so depending on kind of regionally in Europe where you are, you kind of do it in different ways. But the whole idea is just you kind of use up all the ingredients and indulge knowing that tomorrow you begin this, this season of fasting. 
And of course, as people who are dominated by grace, we would never institute or require any sort of fasting like that, any sort of legalistic practice. But I think we can all agree that there are spiritual practices that we can willingly take on that are really helpful for us as we try to embrace this Christ life. Hey, come on over here, guys. Here are the Englishes. Join us, Englishes. Ari, how are you, buddy? Matt. I'm going in for punch number two. Diving in? Are you okay with that? Like Chris Tomlin? Who is that? Sink or swim, I'm diving in? Or is that that's, Stephen that's Curtis a, Chapman? Yeah, that's a quality Stephen Curtis Did you sing that one ever? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I did at some point. <laughs> Matt? Doyce? Yeah. What, give me whatever you got, Jim. I'll take lemon. I'm going to go with this. Oh, that's a lemon or apricot. You better shut this because how, how I'm stoked. Let's put it away now. So Nathan, welcome to our podcast. We've never had you on here before. It's been a little while. I feel very. Have you been on here before? Did we interview you? Sick. Oh. Just Matt and I in deep discussion. Oh, that's right. I got another peach. I'm a little bit disappointed in that. What are the odds? Put it back. You can put it back in the box. (laughs) No one will notice. Putting a a little powdered sugar in that bag. What? Nathan is a man of intrigue. A uh, photographer. Are you reading the script I gave you? A father. A musician. A thespian. A thespian. Oh, thespian. (laughs) No, no. There's an H. So there's no B in oh, a thespian? A thespian, a thespian, a student, Indeed. almost done with a master's degree at Grace Christian University. Currently actually in Dr. Matt Loverin's class. Yeah. Nathan Dog, <laughs> you grew up on the West Coast also. What's your, uh, what's your first encounter with the Punchki Day? Um, did you? Today? <laughs> I don't know. Did you know about it growing up? I didn't. I didn't either. Not at all. Not at all. I feel like it was on my radar at college once yeah. I arrived here in Michigan because of Mike Smith. He was the one who yes. ate him. Is he Polish? Yeah. Could be. Smith is a good Polish dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't really remember if I've ever truly pursued it. We have friends who own a bakery. And, uh, oh yeah, tell us about this. Oh, oh yes. So um, <laughs> I, we we don't have a whole lot of um, dietary limitations. Yes. Yeah. But our friends do. And also, they're intentional about being vegans. So they have a bakery that um, serves uh, dairy-free, uh, soy-free, dye-free, uh, you know, animal product-free. This has to be Rise. Yes. Rise yeah, Bakery. Yeah, yeah, it's Rise. Yeah. yeah. So Nick and Becca Van there. This episode of the Pastoral Calling Podcast brought, brought to you, to you by, by Rise well. Bakery. Um, so <laughs> I, yeah, we we purchased Poochkis from them last year, um, but because wow. of all of the the need to like be very specific about the ingredients and everything. Um, they're 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 an investment. Different. Yes. Oh. This is those. They're a great alternative for what, people who need that. But I also I love the fat. And what the, you just described is quite literally the exact opposite of what you're eating right now. Yes. Way to go with the custard filled. That's a bold move. I don't know. We should ask Mark. I bet there's no dye. I, well, probably in the probably in the filling. In the raspberry dye. filling, there might be a little. There's dye. So there's fat. I've had both there's ends gluten. of the spectrum. Yes, there is gluten. Yes. <laughs> You know I can what? appreciate both, but I am glad to be here this morning with you. Eating. You don't know what you got till it's gone. But, you know, that kind of does bring us back to the whole Lenten thing, right? Into the whole, that's what this day for, for some people, but I think honestly for most people it's just about enjoying donuts and that's okay. But, like in its, in its religious origins, it's a day of just enjoying life in preparation for what many people would enter into a season of fasting as life again. And so one of the principles of fasting is that you're not supposed to talk about fasting because <laughs> first rule of fasting you draw attention to yourself which is the opposite of what Jesus teaches in those spiritual practices in the Sermon on the Mount. But uh, Michelle and I just haven't gone through a bit of a fast in, in relationship to sugar and we try to live a pretty healthy lifestyle for the majority of the time moving away from you know these fats and glutens and sugars Mike Ditka says if you want to eat healthy you don't have to do it every day but you got to be able to do it about 25 days out of the month 
for it to have any sort of impact. 25 days out of the month. Uh, you got to be like super, you know. Yeah, I think I think that's probably a pretty a good, good ballpark number. Like Ditka knows what he's talking about. So as we come into something like today, it's actually pretty tough for me to say, okay, I'm not going to do what I normally do. Yeah, to just kind of let yourself go. And to have a, a punch or two. And, you know, you we get into all of the, the consequences of that, you know. And cardiac patient is always in the back of my mind. And yeah. uh, is what I'm about to ingest going to kill me later today or tomorrow or a year from now? Jeez, Matt, you just put a downer on that double donut I just ate. <laughs> but the season is one of mindfully going into a 40-day fast from whatever, fill in the blank, or maybe just more mindfulness and preparation for Easter. Because I know Easter sneaks up on us. Suddenly it's Easter in church and nobody was paying attention and you're planning an Easter service. Well, we knew on Good Friday. (laughs) Maybe, though, but think about the average layperson. They don't have a frame of reference for celebrating Good Friday. That's true. And so suddenly it's Palm Sunday. Oh, wow, Easter's a week away. And, And because of that secular approach that we take to holidays, we're more interested in when do the clocks get sprung forward than when is Easter. So I I approach this as um, a way of actually taking a break from fasting. Like fasting is something that we do or practice um, often. Fasting is the way of life and it's breaking from fasting that is unusual. Yeah, and so is that as much of a spiritual practice of learning to appreciate things as they are, you know? I guess learning to, to appreciate grace, right? And even maybe that's a little bit of a stretch to talk about the grace that we receive in eating a donut. But I mean, just that like, you know, there's a, there's a spiritual act of digging into something and just enjoying this moment, this donut. I'm not gonna eat every donut every day, but there's something enjoyable about this, you know, metaphorically, whether what's life in general. Sharing that with others. Yeah. We're here with Nate and his son. Uh, sharing going for number two. Yeah, that's Good the man. spirit. It's madness today. <laughs> We're sharing that with Marge, who's uh, like by all accounts a pillar of the Wyoming community. She is. And a great business leader here on the 28th Street Strip. Yep. I wonder, like, kind of piggybacking on what you guys are talking about. From my perspective, and even in my own personal life, I think it's trying to put words to that desire to find places of peace and, I mean, I guess in the context of our culture today, like safe places that yeah. kind of have their own connotation, but in a sense, a place where there is not judgment, where, you know, like this might not be my daily intake as far as my calories and my sugars, but like that I can sit here, enjoy decadence. Yes, the decadence of a donut without feeling like there's condemnation right. in this indulgence. So I don't know, that is a yeah. struggle sometimes because it feels like an indulgence and are we to appreciate and experience indulgence in this life or should we, you know, remove ourselves well, from it completely? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's actually something interesting I've been thinking about a lot. As a, as a pastor, there's this weird kind of thing too about like people, you feel like you're constantly being watched of how you're yeah. spending and using. Like we, we are kind of in the process of looking for a house. I saw you the other day and we, and we, the house we're looking at by most standards is probably a pretty averagely priced house. But because I kind of am constantly thinking like, okay, people are paying my salary. This is like church money, not church money, but I mean like it's, how is it going to look if I buy a house that's a little bit above, you know, the average price of, of that sort of thing. And just kind of that, you're constantly thinking like, like when is it okay for me to mm-hmm. appreciate things in life in the same way that people outside of the pastoral work, you know, they, they make their money, they do what they want with their money kind of thing, and they... Yeah, totally. But, and no one questions that. Right. 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 You and it, like you're constantly having to defend, even though it might not yeah. be a verbal, it's like exactly. a, a mental and spiritual yeah. defense of your and maybe And maybe right. nobody actually is thinking that. Right. But... It's still kind of one of those things, and there's probably some health to that, right? That mm-hmm. making sure that we're being good stewards of, yeah. of what we have and not 
yeah, I don't know. It's just some interesting things, you know, kind of learning when is it okay, when is it. It might yeah. be slightly off topic, I mean, but I think in the same vein, it's like even in our relationships with Christian brothers and sisters, I feel like some, some of my relationships um, are safe in the sense that I don't feel like I have to go into them with a constant need to defend myself or yeah. be on, like, on alert to like defend every choice yeah. and action that I'm having yeah. or every bit of dialogue. You can be yourself. Yeah. Where that doesn't mean that I don't have opportunities to be challenged in relationships. No, that's absolutely But there's some right. relationships where I feel like I can tell before I even see the person that I'm gearing up for, yeah. like, I need to be on because they're going to challenge me about, like, everything. Well, and that's why I've found that, like, it's so important in ministry to have some of those friends that you can be just, like, totally yourself with yeah. because a lot of times when you're with people from your church, yes, you're going to, you, you hopefully are being yourself and being yeah. who you are and being transparent, but there still is a sense where there's that relationship dynamic of, like, you're the pastor and there are expectations that kind of come along with that. It's a bit and of a so, filter. Yeah, right. And so having those, you know, those people, like, I think of both of you guys as safe spaces for me, you know, where I can just kind of be myself and be, yeah. be Jim. Uh, and it's, I think that's a really healthy, yeah. a healthy and important thing to have. And I suppose there are probably some pastors out there who don't have that. Uh, something to, to, to think through. Their friend circle are all parishioners. Yeah. Are all yeah. people yeah. under their shepherding care. Yeah. I talked about that a little bit last spring when I presented at the, the GGF yeah. leadership conference of the need to be connected and engaged with a community of some kind that's yeah. not your church. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter what that is. You know, for Michelle and me, that's the gym community. But it could be a, a donut shop or a breakfast place where you're regularly connecting with people. It could be a barber shop or a bowling alley or something that yeah, you do outside of... I need to get a haircut. That's a good church people that gives you a gives you that yeah. sense of authenticity where you can be yourself and not uh, have to wear the mask of the yeah. pastor. Yeah, and you, we've talked to you about the way that it's healthy to express more and more of that vulnerability. But there's a line there where if the pastor is too vulnerable, then I'm going to get really uncomfortable as the parishioner. That, yeah, but I also think it's not healthy to be, at least for me, it's not healthy to spill your guts before your congregation every Sunday. You know, like, it's important to have those safe spaces where you can be vulnerable in a small group and knowing, like, I don't know. I just think, like, for, for as an individual, I think that's a healthy thing to have that kind of like smaller setting where you can be, can be you, can be that. It's like making sure that the church knows that you don't perceive yourself as perfect, nor do you proclaim yourself as perfect. Right. But also, it's not always appropriate for them to be the ones that yeah, are exactly your exactly difficulties. That's. Yeah. I mean, they can be for them and for you. Yeah. Right. They can for be both. aware yeah. that you have your own therapist or counselor. Yeah. Or someone who, you know, or just good friends that you yeah. talk to, yeah. Um, but they don't, yeah, they don't always have to be the one that uh -huh. hears it all. Yeah. As a side note, how can you be that unhappy at the Punchki on Punchki Day? Yeah. Maybe someone said no. You can't have your second. Oh, you already hasn't had to. that problem. You no. gotta give him to. He's like, he's so satisfied. Good right in moderation. Now. Yeah. Not even digging in. Good for you. Good for you, Ari. It is interesting the way kids will self-regulate and stop eating when they get too much. That's true. Where where do we lose that? At some point, we. Uh, adolescence. Adolescence is the time when my you... ten-year-old has a hard time regulating. <laughs> adolescence. What time? I think, I think you're right about there. Yeah, yeah, that's pre-adolescent right there, Nate. Yeah. You're gonna have teenagers pretty soon. Yeah. So Nathan, how's the photography business? Are you on a break? Uh, um, things I, wind down? Are you all year? Or what's? I feel like yeah, it's less and less of an off season just because uh, whether it be like destination weddings outside of like Michigan or even kind of an uptick in winter weddings. That's been kind of interesting. A, People get married all year round. Winter wedding right winter here. Wedding. That's right. December 30. Well, 
going, Jim. Thanks. I was I was ahead of the time. What's been your favorite destination wedding over the last year? Oh, the last year. Um, I shot a, a very large and elaborate Indian wedding in Detroit. That's the main reception was at uh, the uh, Henry Ford Museum. Oh yeah, which is pretty amazing. It's Most bigger than the Grand Rapids Ford Museum. Yes. Most people don't consider Detroit a destination for a destination wedding, but you're gonna you're proving them wrong. Yes. Well, I haven't really shot many like destination weddings yeah. in the last year that are outside of like the Midwest. Yeah. Uh, or even the West Coast. I have a, a really exciting wedding in May that I'm shooting in South Africa. Whoa. Which will be exciting. It's like a safari wedding. So a safari that's wedding. That's probably kind of like the most, ex- <laughs> the most exciting safari of... Safari wedding? Yes. Well, they the groom's family owns property inside a game park. And the ceremony is going to happen there. So Okay. Don't get eaten. Don't get eaten. That's the... Are that's there the any wild animals as part of the bridal party? <laughs> Not that I've been told. Like how some people have the dogs. Yeah, the bride going to come in on an elephant, right. on the back of an elephant. On a gazelle. Their family, their family elephant that parades around the, the home. What are you? Leave that on. Yeah. He knows what he wants. Okay, finish your donut. Please. Okay. <laughs> yes, so. That'll be sweet. When are you doing that? Uh, that's in May. So okay. things are exciting as always, always challenging. It's funny because even in the context of my class with Matt right now, talking about sexual ethic and the biblical sexual ethic. Yeah. I run into that question so often yeah. in marriages and same-sex ceremonies. So, um, always a convergence of real life, yeah. living out, and also my personal uh, theology. Yeah. And, uh, it's also exciting as I near my end of uh, schooling and graduation and stuff, the, the move more towards vocational ministry and outside of... Well, and I think you're going to really benefit from having that marketplace experience, you know, something that I I wish that I had, you know, because I went right from school into full-time pastoral work, and so I've never had that experience of, like, what it's like to work and just go to a church, you know, I mean, you've yeah. mostly served every time you've, you've been in a church, but there's definitely a different feel to that, that I think you'll really benefit from. I'm like, oh, <laughs> exactly, yeah, there is, like, oh, he doesn't really understand, you know, and it's... Uh, It'll be weird. I mean, every church, every denomination has a distinction as to like what connotates that title, yeah. right? But there is a weird, quick, immediate transition of once you're bestowed that title, then all of a sudden people, oh, yeah, you're a pastor, Pastor Jim, yeah. like Pastor Nate, yeah. It's like, whoa, I'm st- yeah. the exact same, literally. I'm still Nady from the block. That's right. <laughs> yesterday when I didn't have that title, yeah. So, yeah, but, it's going to be interesting waters to navigate. You know, that was, there was an interesting moment in my, and I think it came after reading Peterson's memoir, where I used to always not want people to call me Pastor Jim. You know, I always like, oh no, it's just Jim, it's just Jim, it's just Jim. And I read Peterson and learned, just kind of saw the way that he like owned that and like the role that the pastor plays in culture and in community, not as something to be like downplayed, but something to be like, like there's like reclaiming, right? Reclaiming the the, the cultural, you know, communal role of that. And that, I started going by Pastor Jim you know, more and more, like when people ask, like, I used to say, I work at a church. Now I say, I'm a pastor, you know, and I'm like, I'm very proud, yeah. proud in a, in a good way of that. Do people stop swearing around you? When you it is that? awkward. So this happens when you quite often. When mid-conversation. Yeah, this happens, that happens quite often. The most recent one was at the uh, eye doctor. I was getting my eye checked and you could tell he was like trying to kind of be cool and like, I think he said something along the lines of like, it was like, what do you see? It's like, oh, the vision's double. He goes, oh, haven't. He's like, oh, you're like, you haven't seen that since last time you've been high. Ha ha ha. And I go, like, oh, ha ha ha. Because I knew it was coming. I knew in the ten, few minutes he was going to ask me what I do. And I knew he was going to say, oh. oh. So then when it, it happened, it very quickly, his persona changed to, oh, uh, interesting. Where's, where's your church? Where you, you know, you get that all pivot, the time. Pivot, I think pivot. sometimes, one time someone's like, oh, I guess I shouldn't have been swearing around you. <laughs> Don't worry, I've heard worse. It's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> but anyways. I don't live in a commune. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, it's, I think that's, like you talked about, um, the title, yeah. um, you know, when it's in the hands of a, of a, a humble leader, yeah. you know, there can be good faith on the part of the church, yeah. right? Because there is probably reasonable concern for someone to, to accept and, um, you know, embrace that title and allow the privilege and the yeah, you know, sure. adoration the that can come, yeah, the that perks. can come with it to kind of sink down and, and poison the heart to the point where you know your identity becomes oh, I'm a pastor and I have this, you know, it, it yeah. can be an unhealthy thing. Yeah. So I think, as like you said, as long as you're recognizing that, yeah, there can be great probably there can be great worth in just um, embracing it. Yeah. I think there's a stereotypical understanding of what the pastor is, you know, whether it's the the reverend <laughs> on The Simpsons. What's his name? I haven't watched The Simpsons in a long time. Yeah. Ned Flanders? Well, Flanders is the Christian neighbor, but it's Reverend Lovejoy is the reverend, right? And I remember giving, like, this episode of him giving this sermon. It's the most boring sermon that you could ever imagine, but he's still got that that era of pomp yeah. and self-importance <laughs> and yeah. you know I'm the the cat's pajamas and, and I think people I gotta use that people can see people can see that you know and, and they can they can sure. sniff that out and and some people still go along with it because again they expect that from the pastor but and that's maybe what kind of made me allergic to the term, right? Is I didn't want to be that guy. You didn't want you someone know? had the response like, oh, yeah. Pastor Jim. Exactly, okay. yeah, yeah. But I think, and maybe it just it depends on what people's experience with pastors had been throughout their life, right? And so if they had a good pastor, they're going to associate you, you know, as a, as a good pastor. And so, uh, yeah. And then if not, I like the way you use the term reclaiming. Yeah that role yeah. as something that's socially important. Yeah. cross Yeah, I like that. Social, or at least maybe not maybe socially, but I would say more just like communally important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what role does the pastor play in the community as kind of a spiritual a spiritual leader, right? A, a spiritual guidance. Like, these are the these are the folks in the community that people know they can come to with spiritual questions. So what about sort of related to that, what about like a kind of pastoral or spiritual surrogacy that I've observed as the people in a congregation look to the pastor to be the the one who's yeah. spiritual. The pastor is the one who's going to do the spiritual yeah, yeah, disciplines. Yeah. The pastor is going to observe the Christian year. I don't have to worry about the so much because I know my pastor will take care of it for me. I think that that's true and I think that that's natural and that's going to happen. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess one of the roles then, if you know that that's going to happen, is to be constantly teaching people that, that like, it's your faith, it's, it's something that you're going to be leaning into. But, I don't know, I, I guess this, there's something fully wrong with that. You know, I, I remember Peterson talking about the importance of being a praying pastor, and he says, not only is he somebody, does he think a pastor needs to be somebody who themselves prays and has a regular prayer life, whatever that looks like, but is also somebody who the congregation knows can come to with prayers, right? With prayer requests, and that pastor will pray with them and for them. Because I think a lot of people, they're maybe intimidated by something like that, by prayer, or even like scripture reading. Like, how many people do you talk to? Like, I can't read the Bible, I've tried it, you know? And so the pastor's job is maybe to to be that surrogate, but also to be constantly kind of inviting people into their own practices. And hopefully through that modeling, yeah, you're, you're demonstrating that it can be done. Yeah. Number one, this is possible. Yeah. Spiritual life is possible. Discipline is possible. Growth and progress is possible. But also... Like that shepherding, kindness, and gentleness. It says, and, and you can do this too. Yeah. Like you, you. This, this is not just for the pastor or for the super spiritual people or for saints, but that we're all, we're all believers together, and the Holy Spirit's at work in all of us to yeah. enjoy this life in Christ that we have. Yeah, and I, I think of that even when it comes to my, my preaching, because so often, especially when you come right out of 
college or seminary and you have like a, this fervor for like original languages and Greek and Hebrew and all of that stuff. Studying your sermon 20 yeah. hours a week. Yeah, well sometimes as you preach you can say things like, oh in the original Greek like this is this is what you can see and this is what you mean and when you get into the language then you understand and what that can kind of communicate is unless you know Greek, unless you know Hebrew, unless you can spend hours digging into the text, you have no hope in understanding the Bible. And so that's been something that I've been trying to really avoid coming across as it's helpless to understand this unless you do what I do and know what I do. But telling people like, look, this is scripture. You can read it with zero background and experience and you can have a powerful encounter with the word of God. That stuff helps, you know, some of that background work can help and you can get maybe a, a deeper, richer uh, understanding of it. But like the, the word of God is for all people, right? Wherever you are, the word of God meets you there. And so even in preaching, trying to kind of break down those ivory towers, right, of scholarship that sometimes people feel. It's, it's, it's like you have to walk that line between making sure that fellow Christians recognize that it's accessible for everyone, yeah. but then also showing them that the investment of time yeah. in the Word... You do have to study to show yourself approved, yeah. right? You do have to do that. I oftentimes think one of the pastors at our church oftentimes opens up his sermons saying, like, I invite you to honor the Word of God with me. I was, you know, in some way he usually says, like, I was able to, you know, spend time this week studying this, and I want to share what I've Yes. So basically, you know, to the point saying, there's worth in spending time in the Word. Yeah. Because it, and you can come on a Sunday and just kind of glean from the, all the, the time I've spent in the Word. But like that doesn't just leave you off the hook from doing it yourself. Now, yeah. It is accessible. You don't need yeah. to go to seminary and know Greek and yeah. Hebrew. But you do have to open up the Bible. Yep. And you have to read it. You have to be in the Word. And you have to be expectant of the Word of God speaking through the Word of Scripture. Yeah. You know, like there's that that comes along with it. Well, some of the resources that I really appreciate, and almost every sermon I preach, I always go to N.T. Wright's, if it's the New Testament, N.T. Wright's For Everyone series, because he has this little short series of commentaries, and I heard him talk about it. Basically, he said his goal is to write was to write a commentary that the average layperson could pick up and on the bus to work could read 15 minutes about uh, a specific passage and kind of get some in-depth insight through it, you know? And so that idea of like writing for the every person is I think really a helpful thing. And that same sort of idea, like he has the time and the work and the effort, you know, to put in, put into it. And now here's your chance to kind of glean from that, but you also need to be like, and you, you have you a would, role to play. You, would, you know, the, the congregation invests in the pastor. Yes. That's the role. Like, yes. we, you know, support you yes. so that you can spend time can do this. You yeah. know, while we are working 40-hour yeah. week jobs or whatever. Yeah. But there is kind of that admonishment, invert, encouragement line, too, where we, you know, as leaders, lay leaders or pastoral, pastoral ministers in the church can say, um, this can't just be your only. Right. 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 If this is the only time you're cracking your scriptures, yeah, you're, you're not going to. But the reality is that's probably true for a lot of the people in our churches, which makes it makes it hard. And so perhaps that puts even more import on the sermon because that is, like we've talked about this before, that might be the only time they are going to in, have an experience with the Word of God through the Word of Scripture in a week. So how do you encourage members of the church to not just rely on that. Like, how do you recognize yeah. that, okay, that that might be the only time and let's make the most of it if they're going to be at church on Sunday. But is it is it reasonable to just leave it at that? Or how, yeah. how do you engage with a congregation to say, this isn't how God envisioned your relationship with him? I guess for me, one of the things I think of is in my interactions throughout the week, right? Yeah. So my, my Monday through Saturday interactions with my congregation, trying to be intentional about, about bringing scripture and bringing that sort of pastoralness to all of those things as a reminder that like, hey, we're just having lunch, but 
the word of God speaks to this lunch that we're just having and talking about, you know, whatever you're doing here when I'm visiting someone in the hospital or that sort of thing. And so I think just trying to model that and trying to bring those little sprinkles of it to show that, yeah, this is, this is something. I think also just the, like the midweek Bible studies and stuff that we have, I think is important too, because it, you know, again, you have to come to it. You have to meet me there, but there's still kind of that, that drawing to the, the, the centering around the word. Yeah. I think in small church life, you have those multiple, maybe more multiple opportunities for engagement as a, as a church than a a bigger church where the focal point is really the event on yeah. Sunday. Right. Our church does a little bit, and I'm not very good at this myself, so I hesitate even to mention it, but like kind of a Bible reading plan. Like this is the plan that we're doing together, and our pastor uh, really will hark back to that and remind people, if you're in the Bible reading plan for this week, this is where we are, and this is what we are reading. Yeah. And so, again, modeling that we're reading the Bible every day. Yeah. Or, or listening to the Bible every day. So, you know, I'm doing a, a Sunday school, adult Sunday school series on the book of Titus. Mm-hmm. And so I'll say to people, this is a really short book that you can read in seven or eight minutes, or you can have played, you can listen to it in seven or eight minutes. Let's make sure that we're all reading or listening through this mm-hmm. one time at least this week, or even... Seven like, or eight minutes through Titus, huh? Titus? Yeah. I don't know. Depends on your reading speed. <laughs> I've just been shown to be a slow reader. <laughs> I don't know. Is that respond to Max McLean reads Titus and how long? I don't Is know. Is that the Micro Machine probably, guy? I don't know. He's like nine or ten minutes, maybe. Yeah. And, but, yeah. But it's something digestible that you can listen to in a car ride yeah, yeah. or as you get ready for your day. Yeah. Just have it on in the background and then you're, you're imbibing, mm-hmm. you know, the word of God. But no amount of, of encouragement from pastoral staff I feel like is ultimately going to make the impact that just people themselves experiencing the life that comes from like the word yes right so like figuring out like okay what is our role as pastoral leaders but then also like trusting that ultimately it's up to the individual to like taste and see that the Lord is good to like open up and recognize like oh I am drawn to this this is living water I need this every day so maybe this is where the role of the corporate worship service is so important right and I know Jamie Smith will talk a lot about this how when we gather together on our Sunday morning service or Saturday night for you cool hipsters over at Crossroads, but when we gather together on Sunday, it's kind of he'll, he'll use the analogy of a you know baseball player in spring training, and you go and you practice your ground balls and you practice your pop-ups and you practice, hopefully not practice, if you're a Seattle Mariner, you practice your pop-ups, but you practice these things and you kind of learn the muscle memory language of worship and how to kind of open yourself to that presence of God so then when you leave that place you've been shaped in such a way that that's kind of just your natural posture throughout life and so a lot of times we think of the worship service as like this contained thing and we do it and we're done but it's most helpful to think of it as the beginning of your week of being in the presence of God it's structuring the rest of your life on some level yeah I like that and, there, and there's definitely a, a way in which the corporate exposure to Scripture, like around the one passage that's being preached or yeah. around the text, whatever that is, creates a unified experience of people, whereas outside of that corporate worship experience, people are reading in different areas of the Bible and the things that are significant to them. But I want to come back to what you said, Nate, related to those moments of growth where people discover this for themselves that that scripture reading really is nourishing or that their exposure to the bible like gets the experience of god in a new kind of way i think those are moments of grace they're not things that you can legalistically or even liturgically yeah construct but what liturgy does and what a bible reading plan does or some kind of structured approach creates the possibility that that could happen yeah the fertile soil yeah that that well i know that i'm not going to experience the word of god unless i open it and read it mm-hmm. 
it's it's the same sort of thing of kind of like what I think of as a sermon is I am not coax, coaxing God to speak or reveal in a, in a way that only God himself can. But if I am properly preparing the sermon, myself, the delivery, that whole thing, I'm creating the environment that is, I don't want to say more likely, but that I believe is is being faithful to creating an environment in which that yeah. that thing will happen. And that's the same yeah. thing with reading scripture. And ultimately, you are stewarding the gifts that God has given you. So yeah. it's not like a, I'm doing this. Like yes, we, yes. we can trace all that back and say like, okay, well, even the ability to speak, even you right. know, my personality, everything that goes into you know the construct of a sermon on a Sunday morning <clears throat> all ultimately goes back to glorifying God. Yeah. But like you are stewarding the gifts he's given you to, you know, in accordance, hopefully, with the move of the Holy Spirit, yeah. like, create an environment that, yeah, allows God to work. Yeah. <clears throat> Certainly. I think yeah. it, you're right. It is moments of grace, Matt, like what you said. And I, there's something beautiful and freeing about that, I feel like, as a, as a leader, maybe, as I anticipate, you know, pastoral ministry, where I feel compelled to shepherd and to to walk alongside people under my care, but also, ultimately, I hold it all with open hands. You know, yeah. The individual is the one that's responsible for their, their faith, and I can be of encouragement, I can be of admonishment and conviction, but like, there's something beautiful when we see in ourselves and also in others that personal eye-opening experience of sin. Yeah. Like, I don't feel compelled to do this out of, you know, uh, legalistic, you know, implications or I feel like I need to perform. It's just like, this actually provides life for me. And that's the payoff, right? That's that's it. Well, it also takes the pressure off of pastoral ministry Amen. to have to yeah. be the means by which, like, if I weren't here, people could never right. uh, read the Bible correctly or they could never yeah. grow. But then you'll have these surprising moments of grace where people are growing and you didn't know it. Yeah. Or they paid attention to something that you said that you barely remember, but it was very significant for them. And yeah. they'll bring that back to you and say, remember when you said this? Like, no, I don't remember that one. But maybe it sounds like something I would say. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, you know your ministry well enough and you're committed in the daily practices of the ministry and the week in and week out and delivery of the sermon, shepherding of people to to recognize that this is a, a process of growth that you play a, a critical role in, but ultimately it's God who makes it grow. Yeah. I plant the seed. Nate English watered. But it's God who makes it grow. All right. I was going live, all online. Nice work, Jim. All right. Well, I got to get back to work because I got to <laughs> prepare a sermon. This is not work for you? Well, no. I got to get, get into my office. Good times. You've been listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Jim Shamaria and me, Matt Loverin. Join us every two weeks as we start a new conversation about life and leadership in the local church. If you like us, make sure you follow us on SoundCloud or on iTunes. And also tell all your friends so they can join the conversation.